Hannah Montana, 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 Hannah Montana. I got Molly, I got white, I got Molly, I got white. Hark, hark, hearkened we, and we invited you to come and join us at I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. This show features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons who each stare down the prospect to the best of their ability of entertainment relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which is a wholesale distributor of novelty coffee mugs and prurient desk calendars whose livelihood was recently wiped out by the stranding of the ever-given cargo ship in the Suez Canal. And I'm joined, as always, wow. by this man. Uh, I would imagine you do a lot of business with Spencer Gifts. The few, the few that the are left over, the few that are left over. Yeah, there's only like two or three in the country. Uh, I think one of them's in Oklahoma. Spen- yeah. Really? Yeah. Spencer's almost done. Uh, yeah, sure. How's that possible? Well, brick and mortar. There's no reason to, you know, you can just buy this. Yeah, shit but online. Spencer Gifts, right? Spencer, no one ever bought anything at Spencer Gifts. You just walked around Spencer Gifts and like picked stuff up and said to your friend, "Hey, look at this." Yes. So it seems to me Spencer probably should have like charged like a cover charge to go inside. That should be their new you business. I think it model. was like a novelty museum, just where things like pretty much. There's that, there I, was that. I remember that little figurine where it had a little uh, squeezable air bladder, and when and you it would, farted. Oh yeah. no no no! It's, it's it was a man that like took his, his pants. He would pull his pants down and bend over. Like every time you oh, squeezed right. it, it was like a little bellows that right. caused him to bend over and moon you. There were a lot of those, and like, but I got to tell you, man, I went to the Livingston Mall in New Jersey all the time when I was in middle school, and. Every time I go, I go into Spencer Gifts, and I don't think I once spent a penny there. So, like, I feel like there's some business in that. So that's really sad that Spencer is dead. Spencer oh. Gifts is gone. And, you know, um, hey, just Robert Urich, who played Spencer for Hire, is also dead, too. He's been dead for a long time. It's even doubly Sp- sad. Spencer spelled differently. You know that? Uh, that is true, actually. You're right. Spencer for Hire was without the C. Yeah. What about Spencer I don't, Tracy? I don't know how He's dead, that. too. He is dead, too. My favorite factoid about Spencer Tracy, this might be a myth— is that the producers of Batman in the 60s, uh, before Burgess Meredith invited Spencer Tracy to play the Penguin, and his requirement to play the part, he might have been bullshitting because he didn't want the part. His requirement was, I'll only play the Penguin if I get to kill Batman in the show. (laughs) Literally, he gets to murder Adam West. That would have been his fault. He's like, no, 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 not kill the character. I'm saying murder Adam West. No, um... I love that. He's like, sure, I'll play this fucking villain. I get to kill the hero at the end. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's a trem- tremendous in- introduction for you. Uh, why don't you name yeah. yourself for the crowd? National Batman expert. Uh, my name is Noah Tarno. I am the founder and senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show, Spectacular. And I am co-host of I Don't Get It, the pop culture Get Off My Lone cast. Did you know that? I did know that. It's true. And you were yeah. briefly a guest this week on uh, Citizen Kane Minute. Yes. Or I should last yes. week at this point? Last week, yes. So I was—I uh, announced this on the last show. Yeah, I, I, if you can't get enough of my podcasting voice, uh, tune in to really great podcast, Citizen Kane Minute, hosted by the great Rob Kelly on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And he looks at uh, Citizen Kane, quote-unquote, the greatest movie of all time, five minutes at a time. And I was his guest. We looked at uh, minutes 55 through 60 when Kane meets Susan Alexander. Yeah, you guys who, made uh, a big meal out of it. It was a 60 or so. Big minute, meal. 55-minute episode, but I don't think there was any air, and I think you covered any thank number you. of bases. It was a really, uh, really well-founded episode. Mike, thank you. I appreciate that. My big uh, possibly novel theory is that Susan Alexander is an early example in Hollywood history of the manic pixie dream girl, 
and we chew over that idea, whether it's right or wrong. I, I propose that without 100% being, 100% being convinced of that. But, you know, I thought it was nice. worth talking Throw it about. Out there. And Rob, Rob's a fantastic podcaster. So every I've, I think I've been a guest on his show two or three times now, his various shows. And uh, uh, so, yeah. So and by the way, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, you know, don't listen to the podcast. Instead, go watch Citizen Kane. Oh, you heard it here first, everybody. But you heard, uh, it, here, you heard it here first. Citizen Kane is a good movie. Speaking of uh, Dreamgirls, uh, manic yes. or pixie or yes. otherwise, uh, we have well, a perhaps we have a, not otherwise. Yeah, we got a real whopper of a topic this week, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious yeah. how obscure this is because this was something that was really popular um, in our circle. I mean, we the demographic is people who are um, connected to sort of buzzy filmmaking, things that break through to a certain cultural barrier. But size-wise, this wasn't—I don't think this is a huge sphere, but this was something that was unavoidable, I think, the weekend it came out. People were talking about it in my Twitter sphere, uh, in the media that we take in. So I'm, I'm curious what the audience uh, uh, thinks of this. This is a—we um, were talking this week about a movie called Zola, which is a feature film. Yes. Directed which by is, a, which is an antidepressant invented. No, I'm sorry, that's Zoloft. It was a, this. This was a French author uh, from the early 20th century. <laughs> How funny that 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 actually was Zola. You make the connection, but I, I make the stupider connection. Okay. So yeah, this is a feature film. The I believe this is the uh, third feature film of a, uh, a director named. Uh, uh, Janixa uh, Bravo. Yes, I had. Is this? I, I thought this was her first feature film, and her previous ones were were shorts. No, 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 no. She's had she's had three so far. She okay. had Michael Sarah called uh, Jeffrey Go Boom, and she had Lemon uh, with her former. I thought husband. those were short films. Am I right? No, Lemon was a full length. Jeffrey Go Boom okay, might have been short. She at least has a. a, a, a she had a. a, a Nine two thousand seventeen was Lemon, which was a feature length film that that got a theatrical release. Anyway, so this movie was written by uh, by Janixa Bravo uh, and. It was a co- a co-production of the script with the, uh, the esteemed playwright, Jeremy O. Harris, who I guess could have been a topic uh, of his own, Noah. Um, but neither of us have seen his, um, his, his uh, major work, uh, Slave Play, which was a huge success about last two years ago. And it remains a very buzzy uh, stage production that was almost like the, the Hamilton of um, smaller, just regular theatrical productions, as it were, without music. Uh, and, of course, you may be aware of this. This movie is based on, of all things, uh, a former stripper's long Twitter thread from 2015, which then inspired a Rolling Stone article giving a little breath to it from this guy named David Kushner. Uh, so Zola, the main character of this movie, is, is uh, I guess, a facsimile based on the real-life Isaiah King, who was a Detroit waitress, swept up in a friendship with a charismatic stripper named Stephanie. Uh, it's worth noting that. No, in real in real life, she was named Jessica. Jessica, yeah, okay. But she's named Stephanie in the movie. Yeah, so. we're, I mean, yeah. we can talk about the backstory, but this is the beats of the, the movie itself. Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, uh, Zola is an African-American woman and Stephanie is a Caucasoid. Caucasoid person. Caucasoid. Caucasoid. Makes her sound like a robot. But okay. Um, so very swiftly, they go from meeting... And bonding to to dancing because they both have stripping as an avocation, even though that's not what uh, Zola was doing. Uh, I, I saw as a primary f- source of breadwinning, um, and uh, uh, they, you know they go from dancing and then beyond that to scheming a big plan to go from Detroit to Tampa at Stephanie's behest to snare what she keeps calling the real money. Uh, what Zola does not know is that Stephanie and her imposing unnamed roommate, uh, X, they credit him as uh, in the movie, are actually bringing them to Florida for what is essentially a little healthy sex trafficking. Uh, and that is where things begin to go completely awry 
uh, in this film. The movie is buzzy because of its unorthodox uh, origin. I don't believe a Twitter... Like, we've had things based on Twitter feeds before. Like, for instance, people kept making the jokes about that William Shatner show, Shit My Dad Says, which was a and book. That was a huge hit. Yeah. It was a huge hit. I mean, it only lasted one season or so. But the thread, the Twitter channel spawned a book, which spawned a TV show. Uh, but this is this was uh, I mean yeah this is just a thread going I would say that the magazine article was used as source it was sourced it was given credit but this is almost jumping straight from Twitter to the feature space uh, I'm not saying this is the last time it's going to happen it may not be the first time it happens but we're noting it that this is exactly what happened this time so it kind of creates creates a little uh, weird buzz around it. Uh, you have a lot of sexy talent associated with this, namely Bravo and the, the much lauded uh, Jeremy O'Hara, who I don't think has written a film script so far. He's mostly just done theater uh, when he got out of the uh, YSD. Uh, so the actors in this movie are Taylor Page is the lead character, Zola. And uh, her foil is the chameleonic Riley Keough, who uh, Noah, I believe, did you just find out, by yes. the way, that she was Elvis's uh, granddaughter? I, well, I had heard the name but I wasn't aware of her as a performer until I watched this movie. And then as I do with every movie, I read like the Wikipedia page afterwards, and I learned that, yes, Riley Keough is the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. And she looks just like her mom, Lisa Marie Presley, who looks just like Elvis. So you can see some Elvis in her face. And yeah. I have to wonder if that casting her in that role was a bit of a statement. You know, the we'll get into it, but the white appropriation of black culture is definitely ah, interesting. That's, something that's, of a theme of this. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that was an ac- an accusation level of Elvis. And I think it's, well, I think it's a valid accusation. I, I think Elvis was fucking awesome and deserves a shit ton of credit, but it is something to, 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 to chew over while talking about the imports of Elvis Presley in American pop culture. So I, I kind of feel like that might've been a bit of a, a reference or a joke, but we'll get to it. She's fucking fantastic. I yeah, rounding out the cast is a man named Coleman Domingo, who, uh, again, I don't think, uh, I've seen it a bunch of things, but Noah, not necessarily the uh, voracious viewer of movies uh, at I am, might not have uh, seen him before. And granted, the audience might not really know who he is much either. He's got some TV experience because he's been on Fear the Walking Dead for a while, but he's he's popped through in some big prestige projects like um, uh, if, Beale, if Beale Street Could Speak. Uh, so and he he plays the roommate slash pimp, a uh, very imposing role, excellent creation. Uh, there's definitely something to his addition to the cast. It, it brings another level of energy and menace to it. This movie was released on June 30 to some degree of noisy reception, uh, but for the most part, the only markets it's appeared thus far are your major metro, major metro centers. Um, I and and I mean, essentially, very few people have gotten to see it yet. I know that. Some some of my friends who don't live um, in either New York, L.A., Chicago, Miami, and, and it didn't play very long in those places either. So there is this kind of like people are they understand the sensation. They want to see it, but it's not available to be seen. Now, briefly, the other night I saw a very quick invite that popped up for a streaming party. If It, it was like a screener you could buy, which I think went live at 9 p.m. on Thursday evening. And I jumped on it and I bought it. It was a twenty-five dollar um, ticket, and you could essentially have it for four hours and stream it at your stream it in your house. But the thing is, it, that means it would start at about uh, three in the morning my time here in Amsterdam. So I, I paid for it because I really wanted to see it, and I said, "Oh, this this it's not going to come out theatrically here anyway. This is the one way I'm going to be able to see it um, legally." So I paid for it. Did not get into the window. I did manage to find it through extra legal means. Uh, I flew. Mm. I flew to New York, Noah, to see it. 
Um, but anyway, like I said, there, there's a difficulty right now of supply, uh, which is which is tough. So I mean, you know, it's a good chance you might have heard about this, but you might be hearing about it in detail for the first time. So I mean, I don't. I, we really can't spoil anything. I mean, it's not like a spoiler-heavy type thing that we could. You know, there's not like twists. It's more like we could be talking about no, style. Execution, there's a couple twists. I mean, it's a couple of twists. What's What's very telling is the first tweet in that whole tweet thread was something like, "You want to hear? Y'all want to hear a long story? You want to hear a story? It's long, but it's full of suspense." Yeah. And actually, that that is used word for word at the beginning of the film. Yeah, there's in, a there's a the lot of actual of quotation. From right. Yeah. So so I think suspense is an accurate word to some of the stuff that happens. I mean, there's a couple twists. So what do you think, man? How, how, what do you think of the movie? I love this movie. Thought it was fucking great. I, I great. I, I thought it told a good story. I thought great performances, top to bottom. I can't think of one person who wasn't good in this movie. And. The main four, you know, uh, Zola and Stephanie and uh, X, as they call him, the pimp, and uh, Derek, who is um, Stephanie's pathetic boyfriend who comes along for the ride. All, you know, closely based on real people, supposedly real people in this Twitter thread. And by the way, in the Rolling Stone article, he, he interviews Zaya King. I'm sorry if that's not how you pronounce her name. And she basically admits that she she embellished a lot. And then, of course, if you actually read the Twitter thread, which I did, Bill did not. I did not. Because he, I doesn't, did not. he does not take this job seriously. I don't care. If yeah. you actually read that, you see that the movie expands a lot, a lot more detail than Twitter thread. And that's fine. Like, let's not see this movie's documentary. Let's regard this movie as fiction, which is fine. Um, but yeah, every, everyone is good. Uh, I thought this movie was very formally innovative in terms of form. And I have to wonder if a lot of that was inspired by the medium of Twitter. You know, it, there were these very strange way, it was edited very oddly, quick cuts at provocative moments. Like when the prostitution starts and Zola's observing and you hear the voiceover, she says, they start fucking, it was gross. And immediately cuts. <laughs> there true. are these odd cuts mid beat of a song. Um, I thought the use of music in general was fantastic that there's a montage of, you know, prostitution happening with various Johns and it is set to, I don't, some classical song I couldn't identify. And it is this very creative juxtaposition of these, and these are not good looking men she's having sex with. And you see full frontal and everything. Maybe not full frontal, but no, there, saw, was, there was a lot of dongs. There's a lot of dongs. Yeah. You saw scrotum, mm -hmm. plural, scrota, scroti, scroti. Um, yeah. So uh, you you know you saw some very I don't want to say unpleasant but not traditionally glamorous images let us say juxtaposed with um, classical music and somehow filmed in a very classy manner uh, that made for a very odd but but provocative scene that I thought was very well done arresting visuals throughout um, and like I say it's it feels like it's like the medium of Twitter in its disjointedness it feels like a accurate adaptation of a Twitter thread, if such a thing could even be imagined. Yeah. And I guess now we have a way to imagine it because we saw this. Um, and I thought the way it expanded upon the Twitter thread with the story, it told a good story. I mean, if this is fiction, this was good fiction with twists and turns. And I mean, some of the criticism I read of this, I, I, I saw this movie and I loved it. And then I read criticism and it wasn't, it doesn't have universal acclaim. I mean, I thought it was like 75%. And some of the criticism was that the characters were shallow, but I don't necessarily disagree, but I thought they served their purpose well. It's kind of a weird fantasia, this movie. It's amazing to think this is based on a true story because it kind of happens in this bizarre fantasy world. So I can accept that the characters don't feel wholly sketched out because they're more 
you know, they're more of these expressionistic sketches than actual people. Um, and then I think it makes some clever statements about certain things. You know, you there's the setup and the twist just in terms of what the movie's trying to say. As they're driving down to Florida, the four of them are acting like clowns in the car. You know, they're listening to this hip-hop song and they're doing all the cliche, like, you know, thrusting your hand in the air and sticking your tongue between the letter V with your fingers and just total trashy stuff and slapping each other in the ass and Zola's playing along, but then it cuts to her face looking all tired and the voiceover where she's she's puncturing this and making it clear that we're supposed to see these people as pathetic losers and, you know, the white people appropriating black culture, that kind of thing, which is why I think the Elvis granddaughter casting might be a comment. Um you know, the, oh, this Derek, he's so funny. He does all this funny stuff. And Zola's voiceover, I ain't seen him do no funny shit yet. You know, really puncturing this persona that I find very distasteful and really saying, yeah, no, you, you, you we agree with you. you. You are right to find this distasteful. And, you know, you, you could speak more on this than I can, but I thought it was filmed in a very creative manner. I, it's funny, speaking of Citizen Kane, I was reminded of Citizen Kane. Because there was really good use of, of filming people in reflection and mirrors. You know, there are a number of scenes in a strip club, so there are a lot of mirrors. And Citizen Kane does – actually, the scene I analyzed for the Citizen Kane podcast was um, had very effective use of looking at someone in a mirror. So I was reminded of that. And, um, and then just one last thing. The most formally innovative moment in the whole movie, I thought, was the whole movie is framed that, you know, there's an on-screen, like – this was a Twitter thread. This all really happened. You know, take that as you will from Zola's point of view. And then there's a moment where same styling of text on the screen. They said, okay, well, this is something that Stephanie tweeted. So apparently in real life, after this Twitter thread went viral, Jessica, Stephanie, a.k.a. Stephanie, had her own response with a Twitter thread where she said from her point of view. And I didn't read that, but if the adaptation of film is to be believed, she's completely basically it has this brief moment where it's supposedly some of these scenes from Stephanie's point of view and they are totally like unbelievable. Like she says, I met this bitch at this restaurant and she's saying, I need money. I need welfare. I like that. I need money. I need welfare. Get me stripping gigs. (laughs) And then it shows, it shows from supposedly Stephanie's point of view, picking her up at her house. Yeah. I love this visual. And she's literally wearing a trash bag. So it's like this very racist view. Like this. She's wearing the the trash bag and the pet and the pedicure, the pedicure, the pedicure flip-flops, the sort of store. Yeah. The walkout, like thin plastic pedicure stand. Yeah. So supposedly from Stephanie's point of view, I mean, as this, as if this makes her look better, like I was manipulated, very racist imagining of us. I was manipulated by this piece of shit black woman, literally piece of garbage black woman. I, and she's like, I love Jesus. I pray like it is such I, I should read that Twitter thread. It is such a burlesque of a like a white person saying, no, I was I'm, I'm good and holy. I was manipulated by this evil black woman. And you laugh at it, but it's, you know, it's also... Oh, she's wearing, she's wearing like, a pink blazer like she sells real estate, you know, like yeah, in, exactly. in Arkansas yeah, like or something. I, she literally says something like, I pray to Jesus and all that. Uh, I, you know, I need money for my baby or whatever. Uh, so I just thought that was very clever. And it gets in and out fast. Like, that's not... I thought the whole second half of the movie would be that at first. But that whole sequence is like two minutes or something. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they even have a fake title card instead of Zola. It says Stephanie. <laughs> That's right. The same um, typeface and everything. Yeah, yeah. With, 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 a, with a, uh, a, uh, a copyright notice at the bottom, yeah, yeah, which right. I thought was very clever. So, so Janique Sabravo, very impressive. I'm, I think I'm going to go back, maybe watch some of her other work. 
all the performances are good. Top to bottom, I think this is an excellent film. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, and I like the points you made. Uh, I really like this. Um, it's funny because I watched it separate from my wife. She was interested in watching it, so um, she had a very muted reaction to it. But uh, I think I was a little more effusive. She, she sort of shrugged her shoulders and said, oh, okay, I get it. And she'd read the Twitter thread out, out you know, so she was already familiar with what this was about. But this... this uh, I mean, this taps into some like vein of dark American storytelling that's happened the last couple of years. And, you know, the fact that this is partially set in Florida, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. But I mean, there's been a couple of movies. Um, Harmony Kareen has made these movies over the last couple of years. The first one was Spring Breakers. And then he made a movie called The Beach Bum uh, two years ago, three years ago. And um, he's gone, you know, he's taken this step, big step away from like the gummo and trash humpers kind of like art projects he was doing in 1995 and 2000. And he has done something very different. And again, he's using Florida as a canvas on which to paint. And uh, both Spring Breakers and the Beach Bum almost engage in like American folklore. There's something strange to it where he's making a much more slick and sophisticated, gorgeous looking film. But you don't quite realize the the sort of storytelling he's engaging in is using Florida to show something that the rest of the country can't possibly do. It's just this tableau to set things in that other places of the country might not have access to. And whether it's right or not, it seems really fitting and appropriate. And again, looking at what Janixa Bravo did here, moving the stripper story with, um, you know, slick visuals, slick editing style, incredible acting. um, And then, of course, strippers. I mean, one of the things that we associate with Florida is uh, strip clubs, seediness, uh, Florida man, people eaten by alligators, all this bullshit. You know, really strange. Man getting his face chewed off in Miami. You know, there's no shortage of the weird things that are supposed to take place in Florida. And I think that this slots into that to that um, sort of like collective unconscious about it. But I mean, I would go one step further in saying that uh, I think this was intended. I really took this as an inferno. This was a descent. Um, and I, I almost feel like you know, to use that term, um, I think Riley Keough's character is kind of like a psychopomp who was bringing Zola across the River Styx into this descent into hell. I mean, this movie starts off subtly enough where Zola is um, at home seemingly okay. You know, I guess she called it sex work. There's something very positive and affirming about the stripping she's doing. There's really no shame in it. And uh, she doesn't mind doing it. She's good at it. And by the way, Taylor Page looks insane. Taylor Page looks like she's carved out of a piece of marble. I mean, she's really right for the part. They both look insane, insanely insanely sexual. Um, also, it's worth noting that there's no female nudity in this movie. There's there's clothes. Don't be worried. Women are running around in stripper yeah. outfits. I guess you never see there's bare n- boobs. No, there's no female yeah, nudity. There yeah. is a lot of like you see, said, you see a lot of asses straight in the camera. There's danguses wearing thongs, but yeah, yeah. there's danguses. There's there's this scrot scrot high, but women. I mean, and that's an intentional choice. It's not so much to to make up for it. It's it's telling a different story because that's not the point. The point isn't female nudity. The point is male nudity. The point is male sexuality, and I think that the particular inferno that um, Jeremy O'Harris and, and, and Bravo came up with the script is this descent into aggressive, the aggressive commingling of male sexuality and violence, which, I mean, we know that is essentially the bread and butter of America, especially we, we assume, assume a place like Florida, stuff like this happens all the time. But I mean, there are so many tableaus in this movie of a room 
either with one man or two or many men and there's this look this you can smell the look yeah. on the screen you see yeah. this libidinal violence this energy oh, that it's really that, just it feels dark and you know the only correlative i can that think scene, of the, that scene where she goes to the the house and the all the guys want to gangbang her they're all oh my they're god just, they're just they're all tatted up they're all jacked Ske- up sketches that out too like there's no way that really happened in that way no but I mean, it's like but it's it's a great thing. filmmaking moment of it's like you know it oh made, it's amazing it yeah. made me think of um alfred molina's character uh in boogie nights where the kids throw in the firecrackers yeah. in the background sure. it's like you don't sure. know how that scene's gonna end and it just feels no. terrifying no matter how many times you watch that movie and I really like this threat. Um, it, it, it is accurate to use this Twitter thread to tell a parallel story about this sexification, the sort of, um, you know, like the, 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 the I don't know. I mean, I, I keep wanting to call it like the, the inherent violence of the penis. You know, there's just this thing, this threat <laughs> that I know I have felt yeah. about being yeah. around, around other men where their masculinity intimidates me. Not because they make me feel less than, because I think they look like a fucking rhino. There's just something like I can't be here. Yeah. Whenever this is, whenever this is going to go down, I don't want to be here for yeah. it. Something bad's yeah. going to happen. And well, this movie it's, is still with that. It has, it has explicitly threatened us in this country for years now. Yeah. I mean, and I think learning about our history, it's been there since the beginning. And, and you reminded me of something that I learned when I studied uh, American history in college is that that what you see as this threat was explicitly weaponized, uh, I mean, throughout history, but but more so in the post-Civil War years by by ascribing it to black men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, look at, cock, look at yeah. Yeah, the, the walking phallus. Look at Birth of a Nation, that a black man is nothing but a a penis bent on destruction. You wanna hear a story about how me and this bitch here fell out? It's kinda long, but it's full of suspense. I was surprised. I had heard of this when you suggested it, but it's it's not the the, the widespread sensation that uh, maybe I thought it would be, but certainly this Twitter that, threat. That we're was, making it out to be. <laughs> yeah, that we're making it out. So, so why is it popular to the extent it is, if it isn't just popular among us for the reasons that we already said? Well, I mean, I, I think that it um, it has a couple of things going for it, naturally. Like any good film, it's filled with uh, uh, gorgeous women in states of undress and the threat of violence. You know, and those things take place in films either separately or together. And that's as old as the hills. That is a recipe. No one's ever lost money by making movies uh, like that. You know, conceptually, though, we are in the age where something like this that is based on a Twitter thread. And like you say, it isn't, it is not, they're not trying to um, elide the origin. It is referring back to the origin. It is stylistically inherent to this movie. And to some degree, the execution, the very sort of um, summary type editing of it, the way it blows through here and the way it's so affixed to her voice. I mean, literally the voice, the words, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it, it uses Twitter to make a film out of rather than base it on something that happened in Twitter. And that's a new thing so far. Uh, that is part of the reason why this is really popular now. You know, um, it's look, this is lewd. It is uh, also let's not, you know, we, we, not that we've danced around it, but it's racially tinged. You know, there, there's definitely this this thing where the white stripper in the movie i'm not going to comment on the real person for the purpose of the point that the white person in this movie she uses full black scent i mean she she doesn't use the she doesn't she doesn't use the word but she really black faces it up with the black scent you know that is her thing and and you know my friend my friend matthias had asked me he says did that bother you and i'm like well i mean yes it did because it's audacious when she starts doing it but i realized that first of all that was a choice made by the director 
and the actor. They they created that. You know, that's not it didn't just happen. That wasn't something Riley Keough came to set. I think they decided you need to do this. This character needs to sound like this. And that it, how many? But how many millions of white women that age in the United States do that? I mean, yeah. no, they they appropriate the language. Absolutely. Subculture, I think, understates it. That's you know, bad baby. You know, Daniel Bergoglio yeah. made an entire yep. living out of that kind of thing. And it's like yep. that's. I think that's why Riley Keough's um, version of it is a more uh, surgical implementation of that. She's supposed to sound ridiculous because the joke is on the character. Don't get me wrong. There's some pathos in her character. She does have... There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot, but it's like she also yeah. has this incredible fault of being this person who is, um, you know, thinks that she's down to the point where, again, she stops just short of using the word. Not that the word doesn't get used in the movie. It does by X, Coleman Domingo's character. Puts it out there a lot. Uh, and so does the other guy from, you know, the, the guy that they meet at the at the hotel along the way, played right, by right. Jason. Um, I what the guy, the guy from Straight Outta Compton, uh, Kong Skull Island. He's another great actor mm-hmm. uh, that's come around the last few years. But... Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's you know, you, you got really good actors in it too. I mean, these are people who people uh, the actors people are really behind them right now. I think that people who know these things, Coleman Domingo, who's been on the make for a while, the guy's fifty, so he's been around for a minute. But really, he's, he's been wow. doing really good work. Taylor Page so far has really only had one big film before this, but it was it was Ma Rainey last year. So she showed up in an hmm. August Wilson adaptation, directed by. Um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking. I'm, I'm being an asshole. I'm blanking. But anyway, the, my, my point is that this there's a lot of prestige here. Riley Keough, by the way, if you guys aren't completely aware of, if it's just the Elvis's granddaughter, she's a fucking chameleon. She has been in a large handful of projects uh, over the last few years, and no two roles are the same. And she does very different things from thing to movie to movie. Um, and she is fantastic, and I think that her technique could be overlooked because, again, she plays vastly different characters from movie to movie effortlessly. You're not going to see the skin that she puts on and, and almost gets in and offers a vanity-free performance that she just offers you her body. She offers you this, again, the black scent, and there's no vanity to any of it. And, I mean, I love performance mm-hmm. like that. And then, you know, there's so much of it on display here. So there's a good reason for why it's popular, all the very logical reasons. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, this is a case of we're a positive thing where we're going to say it's popular because it's good and people, you know, sometimes the cream rises to the top, thankfully. I still, to this day, I stand by my belief that if you give people in pop culture, if you give them quality and give them opportunities to discover it, they will discover it and will reward it. You know, the biggest band in music history is the best band in music history. Uh, You know, people didn't just watch The Sopranos. They got HBO just to watch The Sopranos. I mean... I think if you give people, and they're still listening to fucking podcasts about The Sopranos, as you and I, you and I are doing right now, yeah, as you and I are doing, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is unique in some ways. It's timely as we're adjusting to this new reality of form of culture changing. I mean, that that was one thing that was got a got a goose from the pandemic is you know watching movies and gathering in a different way. I mean, look at my business. I had to adapt in-person events to virtual format. And and that had that phenomenon has its tendrils in all kinds of entertainment um, and all kinds of human interactions. So I think we're really in this moment where um, storytelling and entertainment is is going through some major formal metamorphoses. So a movie that is adaptive from a Twitter thread, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't I think, think you, you can't understate this point, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time for it. And I also think something you hinted at is um, the movie kind of sucks you in with sex and titties and, you know, the voyeurism into the, the 
the dangerous hip hop world that the average person views it as, you know, the listening to music that sounds aggressive or maybe even is, you know, overtly has violent lyrics, you know, that scene where they're clowning in the car and slapping asses and pretending they're gangsters and all that. And then the swerve of puncturing those myths and making fun, not making fun, but, but showing the emptiness behind the, the white people talking black kind of thing. And, and the, the danger behind, Hey, we're headed down to Florida, the promised land to, to, to make some money. And, you know, even the little things like they, they drive once they're in Florida, they drive past and just the screen lingers on a, a Confederate flag they drive past. And the guy getting you know, tased hey. on the side of the road, you know? Yeah. A guy getting a black guy getting beaten up by cops. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, hey, party guy, you know, uh, X who's driving the car. But there's that there's that foreshadowing moment when she first when they first pick up Zola and she opens the door and, and X is driving and he's like, hey, welcome. We're going to have fun, blah, blah, blah. And it pauses and you hear the voiceover. She says, it's going to be 48 hours before I know this guy's name. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Before I know this N-word's name. Yeah. Um, so um, how it, it kind of sets you up with the the, the fun kind of trashy Sex and rock, uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll is not really what it's about. Because no, but it, but it, I mean, it's, not it, rock yeah. and roll. Sex and hip hop kind of thing. Yeah. Sex and gangster style kind of thing. And then it gives you the swerve with whether it's sex trafficking is a horrible, dangerous threat, or these people are full of shit. I ain't seen him do no funny shit yet. No, would you have liked Emil Zola uh, as a kid if you had listened to his writings then? Would you have popped, you know, a lot of Zoloft as a kid? Oh, wait, I did. Um, I think I would have liked this less. I think I would have recognized this was a good movie, but I would have appreciated it less because the trashiness would have bothered me more. And I think I would have either been not less able to see beyond the trashiness, see that it's making fun of the trashiness or puncturing the trashiness, uh, but more maybe unwilling because the trashiness would have turned me off. Also, um, yeah, I wouldn't have seen the subtlety. And then... I read so I read the whole Twitter thread and it was definitely interesting. I'm I I wouldn't have gone, "Oh my god, this is the craziest thing in the world." Um especially since I read it after I saw the movie, I'm like, "Oh, it's leaving out a whole bunch of detail because the movie embellished a lot and made the story way crazier and way more entertaining." Got it out to 90 but minutes, I, you know. Yeah, I read uh a article about this where it was commenting on the Twitter commenting on the Twitter thread. And I don't think it was the Rolling Stone article. I think it was something else. And it said, Oh my God, this Twitter thread is great. She's a born storyteller. And I'm like, I don't really think she is. I mean, she's got an interesting voice and she's telling an interesting story. But I don't know. I think I would have been turned off. Maybe that gets more at the jealousy thing. But I'm like, I don't know if she's a born storyteller. I mean, she stumbled upon a great story. She embellished it in the right way. But to lionize her as telling this epic just seems a little like i don't know i, well, I don't buy it you know she she made more than a tiktok and at this point now you might as well be writing yeah. um a russian novel if you do anything other than a tiktok exactly it's, it's, yes it's, it's, it's either tiktok or uh the master and margarita it's painfully the master and margarita. Yeah. it's painfully burdensomely long if it's not tiktok or vine uh size right now you know i but i i uh i, I could agree with you say you know i i was not that i wouldn't have liked it or been i just would have liked it differently um, if I'm a kid, I, and I know that you know the, what they didn't really do so much is movies that had a sexual component to it were usually prurient to be enjoyable. Um, some of them, 
I mean, there's a lot of exploitation movies that involve sex and violence or just sex or just violence or that kind of thing. And they, they rarely endeavored to tell a bigger story than both of those things. And every now and then you did. You got a movie that was mostly from Europe, usually. That was either NC-17 or X back in the day. That was both overtly sexual and was trying to plumb the dark um, parts of the soul. But if I think of movies that came out of like Italy and France and, 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 and Asia, you know, those things usually just look more outwardly sexual with a patina of some other theme to it. Um, I think everything in this movie was baked in pretty evenly and again like i said there's no female nudity you could fool yourself into thinking that there was much like with like texas chainsaw massacre how you don't actually see people getting chopped mm -hmm. up it just it happens off screen yeah, or the camera cuts at the moment you, that that's a good comparison i mean i don't know i think that's a nitpicking point i mean you see everything but the nipples you see the ass shaking in your face just like you see a woman being hung on a meat hook in texas chainsaw massacre you just don't see the meat hook going into her hey you know sometimes that's in back in uh what was it sometimes that's more effective in 74 whenever the movie was hey, made yeah that's I, the... it's one of my favorite movies i fucking love that so movie. i mean i i think that i would have watched this movie definitely had been interested but i would have been interested in the same way i looked at like uh, shannon worry movies or or um bikini car wash or or these things that were like you know again you're talking about things that were forbidden that candy were, stripe nurses candy stripe nurses uh yeah yeah you know, all these things that around the, the dawn of 1990 when there was like softcore cable you know i would have seen this as being one of those movies that it's like wow there's going to be a nude scene every 15 minutes i'm in the best position i've ever been in my life as a 15 year old um so, I mean, and again, there's a lot to see here and there's also a lot to misinterpret, I'm sure. But I, so far, the reviews I've read, you know, I, I think, again, it's so evenly weighted. It's so well themed that you don't ever lose the thread that this is, um, you know, it's got a lot of different things going on, but it's not outwardly sexual. I don't think you're going to watch this no. to just to get off on it just because I, I think there's too much. No, no, you're it, you, you are. If you're watching this to for, as, as, as spank material, you got a lot of problems. OK, what's the deal with your boy, your roommate? Well, he used to take care of me. Mm, take care of me in stripper language means he is her pimp. I am not here for that. Bill is the existence uh, or the uh, popularity of Zola uh, in any way a sign of the apocalypse. Um, you know, this is really strange to say because I am the guy, maybe of the two of us, who'd be the first to decry uh, a, a Twitter thread being the origin of some great piece of art. Just because I, I have been pissing all over you know these these new forms these um i don't know if there's a word for it neomorphism the, the the shape that a lot of art takes place now i have tended to, to say that you can't make great things out of youtube videos you can't make you can make good things why you, not no 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 i'm 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 there saying people saying this bullshit about cave paintings dude Sorry, yes they were and that's why i've been this guy who i've had this knee-jerk reaction of thinking how is like how how are vines and tiktoks going to compare how are these things, how are YouTube uh, playthrough videos ever going to create a great piece of art? Not just the fact that it's on YouTube, but what the people do with it. So I, I would have been an old school, you know, knee jerk formalist about this kind of thing of saying, like, how could great things as much as, you know, I jerk around on Twitter every day. I make try to try to make hundreds of memes, have conversations, try to do funny things. But it's no pretense of great art. And it's like, and here, here we go. Here's here's something that was a pretense of great art in the hand in the right hands of the people. But my point is, is that no, I don't see this as a sign of the apocalypse, and I'm kind of stunned 
because I'm the first guy who would say that this probably would be, you know, even even like put a lining in there about how, oh, Jesus, you know, um, what happens if all of our stories start coming out of Twitter? It's like, well, if they're if if they come down, if they happen to roll down the mountain in this way and form this big snowball where it just hit the right people and you do have something really punchy and potent and noisy like this. Then by all means, give me more like it because this this is a really even though I think that the movie is technically a 2020 movie even though it got released in 2021. Yes, like all, you, all the things you say, Noah. Formally, we're changing. There's a demand, an imperative for new people to tell the story, and there's an imperative to mm-hmm. address the ways in which those stories are told. And this seems like it's an outlier where it's one of the first, or it's at the vanguard of, of how that kind of thing's going to be done. And hopefully we'll get more of it in the new way. We'll discover even more ways to, to tell those stories as time goes on. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think this is anti-apocalypse in that this shows that great art can be made out of what is very easy to dismiss as awful garbage yeah i mean i I imagine the i you know it's funny i'm a big fan of the old twilight zone tv show of the 60s and if you read some contemporary reviews of the twilight zone at the time there were these people like the first intelligent tv show you know tv is trash but like finally someone making something that 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 rewards your intelligence on tv and almost this I, i mean i don't know if anyone said it explicitly but almost this realization that you can you can make great art on tv it never occurred to us before. Um, and while this isn't great art on Twitter, it is from Twitter. Um, and I think it's a sign of the apocalypse that even these mediums that, I mean, there's a strong argument made that social media is a, among the greatest cancers plaguing us as a society now. <laughs> I can't disagree, I mean, yes. Even on the small level of just, oh my God, everyone's living a life and I suck, you know, it, it's a crisis of self-confidence. But... Um, yeah, so if you can make art this good out of a fucking Twitter thread, maybe there is hope for culture. So I see this as anti-apocalyptical. No, Stephanie! Look at me! Look at me! Okay. I'm going to kill myself. Do it. I'm saying, Stephanie, I love you! Hey, Do you yeah. hear? Yeah, why you got to be so extra? Like, chill. Noah, let's uh, bring this thing in on our last uh, twinned segment here. Tell me about jealousy. Are you feeling any of it at all? I mean, no, not really. I mean, I wish some bullshit I had said about on Twitter had gone viral, but I have to admit I have not lived an adventure. I mean, I've had some adventures in my life, but I have no story like Isaiah King's story, uh, at least not that I can think of. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I had had a little attention and someone told a story from my life and made it into a movie. I mean, I've never been a filmmaker, but... This is a great. Every time I see a great work of art, I'm like, "Fuck! I wish I could create a great work of art like that." Yeah. But you know, this is in a different world than I live day to day, so I have no, uh, no, no direct, uh, you know, feelings of of envy towards this entity. Yeah, it's, it's it's nice to sit back and just allow cruise control and watch this movie that I I had some level. I had there was actually a high expectation I had going into it because if something is as buzzy in the way like you said Atlantic articles, New York Times reviews, uh features in the Washington Post or whatever, it's like then it really has to earn it to some degree before it gets into the New mm-hmm. Yorker. And, you know, sure. it met it, it exceeded it. I was really happy. And so no, I don't feel jealousy of um of Bravo as a director. She's definitely put her time in the trenches. She's not a kid, by the way, like you pointed out before on the mic. She's, yeah, she's 40. 40. Yeah. She's 40. She's been hacking it out for a long time, um, which is which is really important. You can tell that, you know, and again, you can think, well, this is only her, her, her second feature. She's just getting started. You know, there's a whole crop of filmmakers who are ready to tell interesting stories. So, no, I mean, I look forward to it. I'm not jealous. I mean, I'm not jealous of Jeremy O'Harris, another really, you know, 
I'm not jealous of the real life Isaiah King um, for this blast of notoriety. I mean, I she had to go earn it. I mean, you know, those are stripes that she got in yeah. Florida. I, also, I, it, it was fucking scary. I yes. mean, she. I. I, I, I have if no, we're understating this, she was in a great deal of danger. I have no difficulty um, believing a pump yeah. action shotgun was pointed at her. No matter how it happened or who was holding it, I'm sure that was real. For, forget murder. She was almost sold into sexual slavery. I mean, not to give too much away. I mean, no, that's what he told some you. harrowing shit we that she that. she made it home in one piece. My God. Yeah. You know, uh, you know if anything, I know. So I and, and a tangent to what you just said. Uh, it's not jealousy, but it's one of those movies where, again, because I'll bring the Inferno thing up again. Uh, or, or what is it? Orpheus descends and Orpheus ascends again at the end. It's like I'm really it's there's a big catharsis when this person gets out of it. And the catharsis is for me that I never had to descend into an infernal situation like this and get out of it. You know, it's like you're you're watching a, yeah. a film reel of horror. And the fact that's that a good she, point. Yeah, she's she, you know, that's the beautiful catharsis of it. Again, it's like I said, you could take any number of things from this. But I really like the fact that she's doing um, Dante. There's there's really something classical about the way they mm. put this together. And, like you know, like you said, the visual, the editing, especially those things contribute to it in a way that is maybe not completely obvious. But I really enjoyed it. All right. So, so tell me about the floppy 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 and scale. The, the flippy floppy scale, the forlornian scale, the, for, the forlornian scale. Where All does right. this thing fall in our X, Y, Z axis? So. So for some reason, as I was looking, as I do when I decide where something lands in the Forlornian scale, I look at old topics. And for some reason, the moment, to compare them to, the moment I was doing that, I had in my head, oh, Zola, I'll compare it to other TV shows before I remembered, oh, it's a movie, not a TV show. But whatever, I came up with, so I, two recent TV shows that we've looked at. So I started with WandaVision, right? Which was excellent. Yeah, yeah. Formally excellent. Yeah, that's true. So there's that yeah. comparison. But WandaVision... Other than being, you know, more formally innovative than this, although I think just in a pure enjoyment level, I enjoyed this more. But let's put that aside just in terms of how excellent I think it is. And WandaVision is also a topic that I accord with, which is uh, analyzing TV history, which I know more about because that was a thing when I was studying media studies and superheroes, right? Yeah, right, right. So let's start with WandaVision. It's not quite as good as WandaVision, but take WandaVision and subtract a TV show that is, eh, all right. And I landed on Bridgerton, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's in the league of WandaVision just because it doesn't really hit my sweet spot with superheroes and TV. It's It's got to be a little lower. And Bridgerton, which I thought was average at best. So WandaVision minus Bridgerton. And there you land on the axis at Zola. Right, and the three-dimensional Cartesian coordinates. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I would put this near the top. I really enjoyed this as a film. Mm. I mean, again, me, me me eating a film, consuming that kind of media is a natural fit. Uh, I do tend to look at most media through this more than I would think about. I'm not an expert on music, a little more on TV, but certainly film. I think I have a better grounding vocabulary. But you know what it made me think of was um, Cuties, which which we watched last September. Yes. And now yes. It's, it's not quite – not. I was going to say, it's not even quite the same thing. There's really little about these two things that are connected in any real sensical way. Other than making a commentary about how we, the male gaze and yeah. all that. And that, that, that's what it came down to a lot. And, you know, here's the thing is that what cuties had to slog through needlessly was a tide of vitriol from right-wingers and Christians in America and suburban moms, which I guess is, I, I, not, I, we don't have all day. I, I should just say Republicans. Uh, but it's like that movie had to slug through a lot of, uh, I think, real understanding, a real understanding barrier between people who didn't watch it, but they were shitting on it and insisting that Netflix be dismantled down to the brick for having shown it. And the French, uh, you know, the French filmmakers be 
evicted from America where they never lived in the first place. But you know, like, <laughs> but this movie isn't this movie isn't facing that same level of consternation. But I do think, like you say, yes, it does a lot of the same things executionally, where it is showing you the cost of of sex on women and that movie that movie they're almost like a good pair if you want to think about it the way those kids internalize sex the way the girl and cuties internalize sex and the way this uh almost carries it beyond to some other darker territory could be a double feature someday um even though they take they take place thousands of miles apart across two different languages maybe even three languages if you want to count uh, riley keogh's strange black scent uh, patois <laughs> I, I will say i had a lot of trouble understanding a lot in this movie um, and the copy you sent me did not have subtitles. So I, I had to rewind, like, what did they just say? It just shows you how old I am. These kids, they speak this weird language. It's like they're speaking another language with these computers. Anyway. <laughs> All right, everybody. Sorry. I think that takes us to the end of yet another episode. Yeah, we're uh, done. We're done. done. We're finished. Uh, that's it for the end of all of them. Uh, last, one of the, last one of the series. So, now we're, if you want to find past episodes of the show, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Goggle Play and Stitcher. Uh, tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. It's write to us at Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. I am on Twitter uh, writing about my life. As, oh, by the way, Noah, the, the, you know, I had watched an interview, an introduction of this movie by uh, Janelle Monet of all people. And this, really? was for this, this was for the streaming thing. I actually didn't get a chance to watch, but I did see the intro. She, she recorded a five-minute intro. She called this, and I think she was coining a phrase. She called this a thought to see. You know the expression T-H-O-T, thought, that hoe over there? Oh, a thought to see? A thought to see. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought, okay. that was, I thought that was pretty Okay, clever. that's interesting. Yeah, All right. right. Yeah. I, I, I'm having a little trouble with it. Okay, but okay. You'll, you'll get to it. You'll get to it. Anyway, so I'm on Twitter right. spinning my own thoughtsies, uh at, at William Scurry uh, and my YouTube stuff, which will never inspire a feature film, no matter how clever my two-minute wacky movies from 2016 were, uh, is YouTube.com slash AMCSer. And now Noah will tell you things. Uh, I am all about the big quiz thing, bigquizthing.com. Uh, the very best in corporate and private trivia events. No, no finer, uh, virtu- no finer. No finer. Uh, vo- both virtually and in person. We're back to in-person business. So far, so good. Very exciting. And um, yeah, follow us on all the media social. As we mentioned before, I'm on this new episode of the Citizen Kane Minute. That was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm also on Twitter at Noah Tardo. All right, everybody. Until next week's delicious installment of this show, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2021.